Welcome to the Untitled Investment Talk, the podcast about all things digital assets. My name is Carl Michael, and I'm co-hosting this show with my esteemed Untitled Investment Expertise colleague, Simon. Hi, Simon. Hi, Carl Michael. Glad to be here. Great to have you on board again. And we have a special guest today as well, Patrick Hansen. Patrick is the head of blockchain at Bitcom, Germany's largest tech lobbying organization. Great to have you with us, Patrick. Hi, Carl Michael, and hi, Simon. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Great. Patrick, you recently published a very insightful blog post on Mika, the markets in crypto asset regulation of the EU. One of the best and to the point pieces I've read over the last couple of uh, months, I would say. And today we would like to discuss exactly Mika, so this new regulatory approach. We would like to discuss the opportunities, but also the potential challenges of Mika from the point of view of established financial institutions, as well as startups, as well as crypto asset issuers. But let's start first with getting to know you a little bit uh, better, Patrick. And uh, we there have a kind of standard question, which we ask all of our guests in the beginning. So we would be highly interested, what brought you to the blockchain space and especially digital assets? As in most cases, uh, I guess for most of your guests as well, it was Bitcoin and the Bitcoin rabbit hole. After that, it was basically friends of mine that told me about Bitcoin. And then I obviously started researching. I started learning about it a couple of years ago. My first point of contact was in 2013, but it didn't last very long. And I then a little bit later on in 2016 to 2017, started learning more about it, started also investing on a really small scale and And basically, two or three years ago, when I then had the chance to also change my job position within Bitcoin internally and to focus full time on blockchain and cryptocurrencies, I obviously seized it directly since I was already quite passionate about the whole topic. Now, maybe also for our listeners that don't quite know what Bitcoin is doing, what is Bitcoin's role in the ecosystem? And then again, what exactly is your role at Bitcoin? And How do you actually spend an average day of yours? How does it look like? Bitcom is the largest uh, technology association in Europe with over 2,000 member companies from very different industries. Obviously, a lot of hardware, software, IT companies. And I'm head of blockchain at Bitcom. So I have the pleasure of being in charge of all our blockchain projects, activities, We try to basically build the go-to platform for all the political and regulatory stakeholders when it comes to creating political and regulatory frameworks for the blockchain and crypto sector. And uh, yeah, now today we are, I would say, by far the largest and most active crypto network in Germany with over 60 startups, 15 banks and hundreds of other uh, blockchain passionate companies from very different industries. and. And together, we basically tackle cross-industry projects that might be obviously lobbying and political work through consultations, decision papers, political meetings. But that might also be 
just uh, cross-industry research projects. For example, we published uh, white papers on topics such as decentralized finance, self-sovereign identity, the digital euro on blockchain and other topics, and also published uh, two years ago the first representative research study, study on the uh, adoption of blockchain in Germany, for example. And that's basically how I spend also my my day, convening with our member companies, talking about those projects and writing those political papers or those publications, those research publications. So regulation plays a significant role in your day-to-day -day activities. And again, today we want to talk about and focus on Mika. And maybe a short introduction on Mika. I think September 24th last year, the EU commissioned published a proposal for the regulation of crypto assets, markets in crypto assets regulation, MICA, uh, as it's abbreviated. Uh, once and adopted and enforced, the MICA will be directly applicable law in all EU member states. So that's quite new, uh, such a comprehensive framework and such a comprehensive regulation in the EU. And the MICA regulates uh, crypto asset service providers. So these are, for example, uh, companies who provide custody services, crypto exchanges, fired on and off ramps, brokers, dealers on the one hand side. And uh, MICA will set rules for issuers of uh, crypto assets. And um, Crypto assets here in Mika, I would say, are kind of widely defined. So it includes Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, ETC. But there are also very specific tokens referred to in the regulatory proposals. So they talk about utility tokens, so-called asset reference tokens and e-money tokens which is, if you hear it for the first time, a little bit, so might be a little bit confusing. Can you shed a little bit light on these different terminologies? So what's behind a crypto asset, a utility token, an e-money token, and an asset reference token? Yes. So first of all, please do not take any of what I will say as legal advice. You should probably add to the standard disclaimer that this is not financial advice today, that um, they mentioned that it's not legal advice uh, either. Although, obviously, I worked extensively on those proposals within Bitcom. I'm, I'm not a, a lawyer and I might be wrong on some, some aspects. But basically, Mika introduces four categories of crypto assets. You already mentioned them. The general category of crypto assets, which should include uh, the, the famous cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin and, and Ether, Then there is a category of utility tokens, uh, which could basic, basically be uh, also possibly non-financial assets, such as tokenized vouchers. But we hope that we could drive that out in the further legislation process. And two further categories, which we basically, in the standard uh, crypto bubble, call stablecoins, the e-money token, a token that uh, refers to one national fiat currency and the asset reference token. That is a currency that either refers to a basket of fiat currencies, such as the um, Libra coin in its uh, 1.0 proposal, or a currency that refers to, for example, a commodity such as gold, or a currency that refers to other cryptocurrencies would also function as an asset reference token. 
And basically what Mika does is it introduces uh, rules for issuers of all those different categories of tokens. And uh, Mika also introduces uh, rules for service providers that provide services based on those crypto assets. You already mentioned a couple of them, brokers, exchanges, trading platforms, um, custodians, and others. And last but not least, Mika also introduces some new rules on, on market manipulation and insider trading, which didn't exist before. Now, we, of course, also have uh, the topic of security tokens. As far as I understand, these are excluded and not really touched on in Mika here. Maybe you could elaborate a little bit on why that's the case and which regime actually regulates them. Yes. So basically, security tokens are not included within Mika since they are already covered by MIFID. MIFID is the Markets in Financial Instruments Directive. And uh, one specific and explicit goal of Mika was to prevent overlapping regulatory frameworks. So uh, Mika doesn't include uh, security tokens. And all those rules uh, are already covered uh, within the MIFID uh, directive. You already mentioned that Bitcoin belongs to this wider crypto asset class in, in Mika. Uh, what about all the currently existing DeFi tokens? which are not represented by a legal person or by an entity, are they still allowed uh, in the future? And how is it with new DeFi tokens, which might be issued once the regulation is in place? It would be necessary to look really into the specific DeFi token in order to make uh, final claims about its category. But most of the DeFi tokens will basically be either crypto assets or utility tokens. And uh, for all tokens that have already been issued before this uh, regulation comes into force, there is a so-called grandfathering clause, which basically says that those tokens are exempted from all the issuing regulations, for example. And then when it comes to future issuances of uh, DeFi tokens, it all depends basically on the interpretation of the definition of an issuer within Mika. The definition of an issuer is a legal person who offers to the public any type of crypto asset. And the big question here is the elephant in the room is what does the legal person really mean? Now, the definition of utility tokens seems to be quite broad. We also have in there uh, those that are not a medium of exchange or those that serve investment purposes. In the current version, it seems like the regulation would also include things such as loyalty points or in-game rewards in video games or other items built on digital ledger technology. Is, is that the case? Yes. So currently, the category of, category of utility tokens is, is really broad. And the, the reasoning behind that is that the commission basically says that we should cover a scope that is as large as possible with that category so that we could in future include types of tokens that we can't really think of already today. We as Bitcoin and many other from the industry think that non-financial blockchain tokens, utility tokens should not, include, should not be included. There are no financial assets. There are obviously regulators that answer that the problem here is that once that they are tradable and there is liquidity on the market, it could also hurt consumers. 
And I think one solution in that context should be that we focus more on the admission to trading platforms. So once those utility tokens are admitted to trading, they should be regulated since there is liquidity, fungibility. And if they are not basically admitted to trading, I think it would make more sense to exclude them from those uh, financial regulation requirements, such as a, a white paper. Next to utility tokens, I mean, there is a lot of discussion and at the core of Mika are stable coins, so the e-money tokens or asset reference tokens. And the discussion, especially from a political uh, point of view, is always about so-called significant stable coins. Can you elaborate a little bit on what is a significant stable coin and what kind of extra regulatory requirements will be in place for these compared to utility tokens? Yeah, you're totally right, Karl Michel. Uh, those stable coins cover basically one third of the MIGA regulation when you look at the number of pages. And it is quite clear from that and also from the requirements that uh, go along that Mika was drafted with the Libra or now DM project in mind, and that this was one of the major points of the political stakeholders. So basically, what are significant stablecoins? Uh, significant stablecoins are either e-money tokens or asset reference tokens that have, have a very large market capitalization, for example, larger than 1 billion, that have quite a great volume, for example, more than 100 million euro transaction volume every day. And that have a large reserve assets and there are some further criteria. And basically, for all those stable coins that meet those significance criteria, there are some special requirements in order to protect especially the concern of financial stability and monetary sovereignty. And those special requirements in some interoperability requirements when it comes to the custody of those assets, some liquidity management requirements, a larger requirement of own capital, which I think is 3% for significant stablecoins. And there's also a different college of supervisors and the main supervisor in the case of significant stablecoins will be the European Banking Authority, the EBA. So there is a strong focus on significant stablecoins and there are also strong and uh, quite harsh requirements for all those projects. Now, looking at those criteria for significant stablecoins, um, one would immediately think, or at least I immediately think about DAI and MIG. So obviously we have a large market cap, we have very high transaction volume, but of course it's uh, fully decentralized. So would DAI be required to get an e-money license? Of course, like there is no one who could sign up for it, but what's the case here? I mean, right now, DAI is still a US dollar-based stablecoin, and I think European customers are now targeted directly. So probably right now, I would say that DAI would not necessarily need an e-money license and to cover all those requirements for e-money tokens. But if, for example, the Maker Foundation would decide to offer also a euro-based stablecoin, that would obviously change everything. And then they might fall under those requirements and under that category. And, and here, I want to come back to an aspect that I mentioned earlier, 
the really decisive and crucial definition of centralization or decentralization. So the question here is basically, is there some kind of cent central intermediary that created that protocol that has a greater access to change the protocol that uh, receives some fees for sustaining the operations of that protocol? And if there is, I, th I think there's no way around the regulation and around the requirements. If you can, on the other hand side, prove that you are provably decentral and that there is not a single intermediary that has a greater access than anybody else, I think there's no way you, you can regulate that. You already mentioned that Diem was a driver for establishing this Mika regulation. To put it a little bit provocatively, is Mika the death sentence for Diem? So Facebook's artist formerly known as Libra in Europe? We, we'll see. No, no, no one knows. But I'm quite sure in any case that the European Union won't be the first jurisdiction where the DM project will launch uh, since basically they have to wait until the regulation comes into force and that might take another year or two. So there are definitely some quite and, and tough uh, requirements for DM. We will see if they are able and also willing to meet them. It might also be that DM just says so since there are that high hurdles for us in the European Union, we just won't target that market, that it's also a possibility. I think especially for the stablecoins that are already on the market. So, for example, USDC and you mentioned DAI and Tether. The regulatory hurdle and the barrier might be might prove actually more more negative and, and, and more dangerous. If you look at, for example, the requirements when it comes to the own capital, those projects such as USDC or Tether would be required to have an basically millions, hundreds of millions of dollars or euros just as a known capital requirement. They would be also required to be regulated as e-money institutions or credit institutions. And I don't think those crypto-native stablecoin projects are, as of now, ready for that. Let's dive a little bit deeper into the actual rules for crypto asset issuers, as we've alluded to already. So they are now required, or they will be required, to issue a white paper. So maybe we could dive a little bit into what does this white paper include? Um, how is it different from a security prospectus? Is it basically just a new, hip, cool crypto name for security prospectus? Or are there real tangible differences? No, there will definitely be real uh, tangible differences. The ESMA, so the European uh, Securities Mar Markets Authority, will, once Mika comes into force, draft, basically develop implementing standards, uh, how those white papers have to look like in practice. Generally speaking, those white papers have to describe the issuer, have to present the project, have to give a detailed description of the underlying technology, of the offer to the public, and, and, and just basically just give a detailed description of all the rights and obligations attached to the crypto assets that should be issued. Obviously, those white papers have to also include statements that the whole crypto assets may lose their value, that they may not be transferable in, in, in future or not liquid. It's, it's basically just consumer protection information, but not comparable to all the requirements that go along with the real securities prospect. 
everyone is currently talking about NFTs, non-fungible tokens and digital collectibles. Would they need a white paper as well? No, non-fungible tokens are explicitly exempted from those requirements alongside a couple of other crypto assets, crypto assets that are created through mining or crypto assets that are only addressed to qualified investors or crypto assets that are only um, basically that are not exceeding the threshold of 1 million. There are some, some exemptions and uh, non-fungible tokens fall under them. Now, of course, issuing a security is uh, prohibitively expensive in the traditional system unless you're a company of rather large size. So how expensive will the launch of a cryptocurrency or crypto asset actually become due to Mikar taking into account being fully compliant, having a correct white paper? What are the main cost components we're talking about here? It's hard to guess right now since basically no one has already published such a white paper and we don't really know on a technical level yet how those requirements will look like. The EU Commission has uh, published uh, alongside its regulation proposal also an impact assessment of the proposal. And that impact assessment estimates that for the white paper, one should basically calculate uh, one-off costs between 35,000 and 75,000 euro. This uh, impact assessment also foresees that there will be one-off compliance costs for unregulated entities that amount up to 16 million euros. And then there will be also obviously different recurrent compliance costs, uh, such as uh, reporting costs, IT security requirements costs, governance costs, and those are really hard to estimate, but it, it's definitely for smaller startups. Those are definitely uh, significant financial barriers. Okay, maybe one more question on the, on the white paper. If we understand the Mika correctly, there is a notification of the final draft of the white paper to the financial regulator. It's a notification, but no approval, right? What's the difference between the notification and an approval and, and what does this mean practically? Yes, basically for, say, normal crypto essence, the white paper has just to be sent in advance, 20 days prior to the emission to the respective National Financial Supervisory Authority in Germany, that would be the BaFin. And for normal crypto assets, those issuers wouldn't have to wait for the explicit approval of BaFin, but they could just basically, if the BaFin doesn't prohibit the issuance, they could just move on and, and do their business. For stable coins, so for example, asset reference tokens and e-money tokens, that would def definitely be different. And one needs the explicit prior approval of the white paper by the financial authority. And it's basically only a protection um, measure for the financial authorities since they estimate that those uh, stable coins could have a greater impact on the financial market. Now let's maybe take a little bit of a more strategic view on Mikar. So the opportunities and challenges associated with such regulation for investors as well as crypto projects. Uh, what do you think are the biggest shortfalls of Mikar in your opinion? Now we've already talked really shortly about the costs for issuing new assets, basically, issuing new crypto assets, as you said, this seems like end to crypto startups almost because they basically need to 
go fully public, maybe at slightly lower costs, but you've mentioned all those compliance costs. It seems like an end to small business innovation in Europe, maybe even in the worst case. So what do you think, in your opinion, do those challenges have to be tackled in order to avoid the crypto projects and investors, as seems to have been the case over the past many decades, just move out of Europe and start innovating in other places? Yes, I mean, we mentioned some of the potential shortfalls of Pika already, and you mentioned the financial hurdles that might be one shortfall. But I think uh, more importantly, we really have to look at, for example, the scope of the definitions. For example, when it comes to utility tokens, I think it would be a bad idea to include all kinds of, all kinds of non-financial tokens, uh, such as tokenized uh, festival tickets, tokenized uh, vouchers, tokenized air miles in this regulation proposal and to require, for example, a white paper for the issuance of those tokens. We, we also touched upon decentralized finance, which is basically nowadays the primary driver of innovation in the blockchain space. And I think we really have to make sure that provably decentralized protocols and decentralized applications are not covered by Mika. And we have to make sure that also those token issuances of those DeFi applications are not covered by Mika. And I think that will be one crucial topic. Another is the topic of, of stable coins. I, I think here that the conditions are as they are all outlined right now, they might uh, completely suppress the stable coin market, which is still nascent, especially the euro-based stablecoin market practically doesn't even exist yet. And I think we should make sure that those conditions allow for an important private stablecoin, euro-based stablecoin market to emerge. And then obviously what you mentioned as well, those compliance costs, we looked at very closely and we should make sure that also smaller scales comp companies and startups are able uh, to come up with compliance solutions and uh, to basically uh, shoulder that financial burdens. Yeah, next to the challenges um, of MECAR and, and assume they can be mastered somehow with a sensible uh, regulation. Patrick, what kind of opportunities do you see arising from this regulatory move? And do you think MECAR will become a role model for other jurisdictions in US and Asia? In particular, if we look at established financial organizations, which now have the long sought after regulatory framework, which they would need to enter the space? Yes, I think you mentioned already the two most important benefits and opportunities that Mika offers. On the one side, you have the harmonization of the European crypto market, which prior to that, was basically a regulatory patchwork with uh, rules in some countries, uh, stricter rules in other countries, and no rules at all in some countries. With Mika, you have basically one EU internal crypto market with 450 million customers, and that will allow, obviously, crypto asset businesses to scale way quicker and uh, to basically benefit from a new EU passporting regime that Mika offers. And that harmonized internal market will allow EU crypto stakeholders to compete with other major global jurisdictions, such as the US or China. 
And I think the second biggest benefit of Mika you already touched upon is the possible institutionalization that goes along with Mika. On the one side, thanks to the legal certainty that Mika offers, uh, that is really an overarching and all-encompassing rule framework for crypto assets and crypto asset service providers. And also, I mean, an aspect which is criticized by some, but basically incumbents, so incumbent financial institutions and e-money institutions will be allowed to offer many of those crypto services we talked about without even applying for new licenses. So it will open up the whole crypto market to all those incumbent financial players. I think we all agree that that could uh, result in a huge European growth uh, for the crypto market. And when it comes to the potential global implications that Mika has, I think it is a little bit early to talk about that. But uh, obviously, if if everything goes well, I think the also open this in a sense disclosed goal by the EU Commission. The former Vice President for Financial Services, Dombrovskis, even stated that quite clearly in, in one of his talkings that the EU should lead regulation globally. And I think the potential is there that comparably to the general data protection regulation, the often talked about GDPR, that the Mika could set global standards and shape regulation internally especially for countries that haven't come up with regulatory frameworks on their own, but also for countries that are fragmented and uh, that will basically be just influenced by the sheer sheer size of the European internal crypto market. And I think, obviously, we talked a lot about those negative possible implications. We should not forget that, generally speaking, Mika offers tremendous opportunities for crypto market growth. Now, the German finance market regulator BaFin introduced a crypto custody license at the beginning of last year, which uh, I think was quite a big step towards a kind of gold standard for crypto custodians in Germany. What would happen to this licensing regime now, also looking at Mikar as we go on? And do you think other European countries might embrace it so it's, it could spread around Europe? That's basically what is currently happening. So in, in many aspects... The Mika proposal is derived by the ideas or by uh, the rules that have been already implemented in Germany. And so basically uh, custodians that will receive the German license will be able to quite easily update uh, those licenses also on a European level. We have the assurances also from the Ministry of Finance, uh, for example, from State Secretary Cookies, that then it, that is really one important aspect for for us nationally. And I think in the end, that could basically prove also a competitive advantage for Germany-based crypto custodians and crypto asset service providers, since they are already compliant with those rules. And then once Mika comes into force, they could potentially conquer the market more quickly than other competitors in, in other countries that still have to come up with solutions for all those requirements. You're already pointing uh, to a fact that like crypto regulation is kind of heterogeneous in Europe. 
Some countries don't have regulation at all. Some have uh, advanced regulation, like the cryptocurrency licenses in Germany. But there are also some countries in Europe who position as very crypto-friendly. What does Mika mean for such crypto-friendly European countries? Let's take Malta as an example. They have to update their rules as well, basically. And uh, in some sense, that might destroy their regulatory business model as a regulatory arbitrageur. So basically, the whole crypto market that is currently fragmented will be harmonized. And for some, that might be they have to tighten and toughen the rules. For others, that might be softer rules for most of the countries, to be honest. That will mean the introduction of the first rules in this sector. But countries such as Malta, I think are in some sense disadvantaged since they lose their competitive regulatory arbitrage advantage. As we're talking about Smicar and all of all that it entails, what time frame are we looking at right now? How long will it realistically take to fully implement it? And what are kind of the steps on the roadmap that are immediately following in the next couple of months and years? Yeah, that, that might take uh, some time still. Basically, the proposal is currently discussed and amended in the European Parliament and in the Council of the European Union. The deadline for amendments in the Parliament is end of May. I think we might have final votings and final decisions in the Parliament and in the Council this summer, maybe around uh, August, September. And we can then expect those trilogue committees between the Commission, the Parliament and the Council to start, where the final points of the proposal, the final controversies between the Parliament and the Council will be negotiated. And if everything goes well, the proposal might be adopted either end of this year, if we are really optimistic, but I think it, it, it is more realistic that the proposal will be adopted early next year. And there's then an additional transitional period of 18 months for the implementation of those rules. Uh, so the rules will basically apply for everyone, I guess, as of middle of 2023, approximately. Okay, still some time to go. At the end of our talk, uh, we'll come to the so-called golden question, that is a question or a hot topic we would like to know your opinion on. Since Mika is a lot about stable coins, e-money tokens, asset reference tokens, Mika seems to pave the way for a central bank digital currency. But we all know before this materializes and what we have heard from the EU so far, it might still take a couple of years before we have this CBDC uh, really implemented. Um, some even say this might take a decade. Uh, do you think Mika-compliant euro stable coins can and should bridge this gap in between? We already see some first initiatives in this direction. We had a talk with Bankhaus von der Heide and Bitbond on their euro stable coin recently. What's your view on this private euro stable coins? I think there's 
definitely the need in the market already for tokenized euros. And I think the, the private sector should definitely come up with uh, solutions for those needs that might be within decentralized finance, for example, the use of a decentralized euro stablecoin or on another level that might be in the German more corporate industry. Another solution might be a euro-based uh, stablecoin that is issued by, uh, for example, German banks and financial institutions. In any cases, I think that we shouldn't put stablecoins and central bank digital currencies all in the same basket since they oftentimes address really different use cases. And in that sense, I think even once we will have a euro-based central bank digital currencies, maybe in five or six years, I really don't think that this kind of CBDC will then be able to cover all the needs for tokenized fiat money that we will have in the market. And I think if we look at current stablecoins, crypto stablecoins in the market, for example, USDC, clearly there will be use cases within DeFi, within payments, within cross-border transactions where private companies have to come up with solutions. And, and that's also why we as industry have really to make sure that uh, the rules and requirements for stablecoins in the euro area are not established too high so that basically the whole market won't even be able to emerge. Clear statement. Thanks a lot for joining us today, Patrick, and your really insightful and to-the-point answers. That was really a great talk. To all our listeners, obviously, this is no investment advice you got from Patrick or from us here. Do your own research. I would like to thank Simon also for being on the show here. As always, a pleasure. And our listeners, we hope you enjoyed the show. And if you want to learn more about Mika, we can highly recommend Patrick's blog post, uh, which you will find in the show links. And thanks for listening. Stay tuned and loyal to the Untitled Investment Talk, the podcast about all things digital assets. No noise, all signal.